This is the Marriage Bites Podcast, Episode 58, Healing Shame. Welcome to this episode of the Marriage Bites Podcast. We've had some really heavy discussions this week about lots of stuff. One thing that really have been thinking a lot about is shame. How shame shows up in our relationship. And it's sneaky. That's the hard part about it. Because people are like, no, I'm fine. I love myself. I know I'm a good person. But you can still think I'm a really good person and have all kinds of shame hiding in the background, hiding in all the closets and the dark corners of your psyche. And you can still have a lot of problems even if you have a really good self-esteem. And not really even know it's there. Yeah. But it comes out in sneaky ways. Yeah. Sometimes you don't realize it. You have shame of something. Yeah. It's when you're reacting a certain way, not based on what's happening now, but what happened in the past. You have a memory from the past being activated and you're acting it out now as if it's happening now when that's not even what's happening. And so your spouse is like, whoa, what happened? I just said, what do you want for dinner? And all of a sudden you blew up on me. Mm -hmm. That reactivity comes from the memory. Oftentimes there's shame in there. Because it's sneaky. Like sometimes parents will shame their kids in these like weird sneaky ways. Like if only you were more like your brother. Or like because it's the smart kids who don't have this problem. Or these like (laughs) tiny comparisons. Yeah, but go ahead. That reminds me of the story of my mom and I were driving home from town one night. Mm -hmm. And we were talking about my bad grades, I think. Because I got some pretty bad grades in high school. And she made some comment about, you know, most students or kids who play instruments get really good grades. And well, I was playing the trombone at the time and my grades were not good. And she might've said something about that not being the truth for me or something like that. I forget the actual verbiage. Um, But it was kind of shaming, but I kind of laughed it off because it was kind of funny too. Because I'm like, ha ha ha, I don't get good grades and I play an instrument. But (laughs) I don't know, some other kid may have taken it the wrong way. Mm-hmm. Or I, I don't think my mom had any ill intent, but... Yeah, well, parents was... don't. I think it, most of the time, parents aren't meaning to shame their kids. They're not meaning to, like, make you feel bad about getting bad grades, even though you do play a musical instrument. Yeah. But I think a lot of it happens with comparisons, sort of like you should be more like your brother, you should be more like your sister, and anything that has the word you should be different from you are from how you are is almost always going to have the potential to carry shame with it. I mean, and as a parent, I have to really, really watch myself to not say, well, your brother did it different, and to really try not to compare. Yeah. Because we are... It's, like, it's a tough thing to do because, I mean, we're, we're well-intending parents, and we have our own baggage, and we have our own beliefs, and the way we've been raised, and all this stuff. And I was just reading a chapter in a book about the messages that children get about sex. Mm-hmm. And, and it talked a lot about shame and how parents unknowingly will shame their kids about sex. Mm-hmm. A child's starting to grow up and say a sex scene comes on the TV or something and they freak out about it and shut it off and they, they wig out. You know, that was my experience actually growing up. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, what does that send to the kid message? It sends, hey, this is bad. Well, as they grow, they start having these sexual feelings and desires and when you shut those things down or you say, no, 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 it's bad, 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 um, there ends up being that undertone of shame. Mm-hmm. Like if you if you engage in this stuff or if you even think about it, 
you're in the wrong and you're doing something that's dirty or something that's bad or something that's going to mess up your life. I mean, how many times have we heard the story of the teenage gal who gets pregnant or we say she was knocked up? I mean, think about that term for a little bit hmm. and and the shame that comes from that. Yeah. I've seen some parents use shame in order to get their kids to comply. Oh, guilty as charged. I mean, yeah. we've, we've all done that. And like you said earlier, is we really have to be careful. And I find myself, believe it or not, trying to choose my words better. <laughs> because I learned that shame is actually a thing and I, it just never came to light. Yeah. And boy, it can be damaging. And I think about the times I was shamed mm-hmm. growing up and how much damage that did to me. And Mm -hmm. I find myself doing that to my own kids. It's like, dang it. Well, and I also find myself doing that to myself. So whatever messages that came from like teachers or church leaders or society or friends or parents or whatever, when those people are gone and now I'm my own self, like I'm the one who tells those messages to myself. I'm the one who says, oh, yes. My stomach shouldn't look that way, or I should be taller, or my nose shouldn't be so big, or my hair should be prettier, or I shouldn't have said that thing, or, you know, like, now I have taken over that shaming voice. Right. And and that book I was reading, it was talking about this with teenagers and sex, is that's exactly what they said. The mm-hmm. pros the pros out there, they say, your parents do all this stuff to shame you without realizing it. Then you take it on as your own, and you start telling yourself that narrative. Yeah, so it's really important as parents to talk to your kids about things in more honest ways. Sometimes shame is used and they think they're protecting their kid. So like try to scare the crap out of their kids in order to get compliance. And the thing is, it works. Here's the thing. We have a ditch that runs behind our house. And at certain times of the year, there's a farmer who lives nearby who will come and dredge out the ditch. And it's dangerous, truly. It's like 20 feet deep and 15 feet wide and it's straight edges. And we have a three-year-old. And if he were to fall in there, it could be very, very dangerous for him. And some of our older kids said, hey, don't go back there because there's monsters in the ditch. And it was well-intended to say, we're going to scare him so that he'll stay safe. But the problem was he was laying down in bed trying to go to sleep and saying, I'm scared. Because there's monsters in the ditch. And I had to teach him, there's no monsters in the ditch. They can't come in the house. They, they don't exist. But even if they did exist, the doors are locked. Like I had to find a way to help him feel safe in his bed at nighttime. And so it transferred over into this other thing. Because I don't know if a three-year-old understands you could drown. And I don't know if you want to say to a three-year-old, if you go back there, you could die. That could be traumatizing too. Right. But you need to be really careful. I mean, and for a three-year-old, it's kind of one thing. But like when they get to be five and 10 and 15 and 18, they know when you're lying. They know, okay, you're just trying to trick me. And then they won't trust you as much if you're just trying to lie to them, to scare them, to keep them in compliance with the values or the standards that you hold. So like we have a kid who is struggling in school well he's not struggling he's just not turning in assignments and so his grades are pretty low right now and there's a tendency that I feel sometimes to like say things to make him do his work so that he will get better grades and it might be shaming and like well yeah if you fail this class then it's gonna all the way down the road the rest of your life is gonna be and I'm like not saying those things but I can feel sometimes this this temptation to kind of 
overblow the situation, but I'm holding back on that and saying, listen, what will happen if you fail this class? And um, I've said things like, yeah, once you're in college, nobody cares what your high school GPA is. Nobody cares whatsoever. But there is an immediate effect that you either have to retake this class, you get behind in the different things, you might have to do classes over the summer, or it might keep you from getting into the college that you want to get into. And so like, yeah, I'm not saying, oh, your GPA, it matters. It goes on your permanent record and you have to get good grades It's going to follow you for the rest of your life. Yeah, and I got those messages like, you need to have a good GPA. And I was like, scared into like, okay, I better do it. Oh, yeah. I better do all the things. I was like one of those students who did the extra credit even if I already had an A. (laughs) That's how afraid I was of something bad happening if I didn't get good enough grades. I rarely did the extra credit because I never... Did it good enough. And I appreciate that now. And that's just my personality too, to just kind of like be the one who dots all the I's and crosses all the T's. That's, you know, part of my personality too. So it's not like something that was bad and damaged me, but maybe I worked harder than I needed to. I think the point I was trying to get to is that when you are trying to teach your kids, rather than using shame tactics, which like I said, sometimes they work, to just be as honest as you can and not say, not overblow it. Sometimes there's a tendency to want to exaggerate the consequences of doing a thing or not doing a thing in order to gain compliance. Yes, shame might work sometimes. But the problem is, is there's lasting effects of that like, that, are, that are not good. Right, because sometimes, and we've had this conversation where you're saying, I'm trying to teach him such and such thing. And I'm like, yes, you're teaching him, but what are you teaching And I've done the same thing. I'm not pointing any fingers or blame here, but like, it's important to say like, what am I teaching intentionally? And what am I unintentionally teaching about their lovability? And then are they going to take that into their adult life? Right. And they take that into their future relationships, whether with a spouse or a girlfriend or whatever. Um, And I say girlfriend because we have all sons. Yeah. But it's what I know. (laughs) Yeah. Um, they take that stuff with them as baggage. Yeah. I mean, we have taken stuff into our marriage and into our children's lives, mm-hmm. baggage that we picked up. Right. And and so if we can start working on, I mean, we've already, I'm sure we've already given our kids some baggage, but I think yeah. we're trying to negate some of that or trying to reverse some of it. Yeah. You can only do the best you can. I mean, you do the best you can. Yeah. And kids are resilient. And... Well, and I'll say to that, and we've talked about this recently, is that when you find that you have given bad messages to your kids or shaming messages to your kids, and you realize it, the easy thing to do is to shame yourself. And we've mm. been talking about that. Yeah. Is to now be hard on yourself. And I'll tell you, it's difficult because, I mean, you feel bad about it and you start saying, well, I'm a bad, I'm a bad father, I'm a bad mother, or, you know, a bad brother or sister, whatever. Mm-hmm. And you can take on shame yourself and shame your own self. Yeah. And that doesn't help either. Mm -hmm. Yes, the things that happened happened, but tell yourself, yeah, those happened, but I've now changed who I am and I'm working for something better. Mm -hmm. And you may have to make some apologies to your kids or your wife or, you know, whoever. And to really try to move on. And, And you may find yourself sometimes reverting back to feeling that shame and being hard on yourself. And some people, it's easier to get over and some it's not. Um, I think, though, if you hold on to that shame, it can can damage you. It's like Mm -hmm. a cancer. Yeah, absolutely. And 
your kids will see that and your spouse will pick up on it and and it comes out in the way you treat those people right you know when you are not feeling like you're enough Sometimes, like for teenagers, it means seeking out relationships where they can extract validation from that person to make them, quote unquote, make them feel like they're good enough. If they then break up with that person, then it just undoes, how do I say this? If they break up, then it makes them feel bad about themselves all over again. It confirms this idea that they're not good enough. Right. And happens in relationships, marriage relationships too. Not necessarily like breaking up, but like there's lots of different ways that that can come out. Right. The thing is, is these things that are taught and the shame and stuff that when it happens to a teenager, a kid, if not resolved, that it will carry into your Mm -hmm. adulthood and whatever relationships you have in adulthood. Um, It can affect the way you treat your spouse. It can affect your sexual relationship with your spouse. It can affect... Um, your finances it can affect I mean it can affect mm-hmm. all sorts of stuff. just like cancer when it starts to grow it can metastasize and go all over the place right mm-hmm. well that can happen later too yeah if you don't either stop these things or deal with them or process it I tend to believe that every compulsive behavior has an element of shame behind it when a spouse finds out that their spouse is looking at pornography for example a lot of times they'll think it's because I'm not sexy enough I'm not good enough in bed I'm not somehow enough for my spouse so they're going to seek what they're looking for elsewhere Mm -hmm. but I think for the most part the pornography viewer is it's not about the orgasm it's about getting away from the shame that they feel but it can be come out in eating people eating compulsively shopping social media compulsion. Um, There's lots of different things that we do to try to get away from the shame and the not feeling good enough that we feel. You're trying to escape something. Yeah, I think a lot of The discomfort. Yeah. And that's another thing we've talked about is you do those things to escape the discomfort. Yeah, so it really isn't about the other spouse not being good enough. If the wife is on Facebook all day long, it's not about this husband not being a good enough husband for her, not being whatever. That doesn't mean that if you have a spouse who is doing some compulsive behavior, it doesn't mean that you don't have some room for improvement in reaching out, in connection, in more honesty, in all of that. Mm -hmm. But it's not your fault. It's not because of you. It's not because of some deficiency in yourself that they are seeking the other thing, whatever the other thing is. Oh, I think there was one thing I wanted to go back to is you said shame and you also said guilt. So guilt, I think it's Brene Brown who defines guilt as I did something bad and shame is I am bad. And when you have done something to somebody in the past, whether you knew you were doing something wrong or not, it's appropriate to feel guilt for that. Like, yeah, I realized that I yelled at my spouse and I feel guilt for that I wish I hadn't done that but the shame is when you start to say I'm such a bad wife or I'm such a bad mother like that's just shame and it's probably not even true and um would you say that shame and I just maybe this is off topic but it sounds like shame is related to judging yourself or judging yeah absolutely so I hear a lot of moms 
who say things like, I just feel so guilty that I tried my very best, but this bad thing still happened. Like, I try so hard to get my kids to school on time, and I just feel so guilty that, or like my six-month-old baby, I put him on the bed, and they rolled off the bed, and they fell off, and I just feel so guilty about that. I'm the worst mom ever. I'm like, that doesn't require guilt. That's not even appropriate to feel guilt. I feel bad for the baby who fell off the couch or the kids who were late for school. It's okay to feel like some sort of sorrow for that or sadness, but like the word guilt is far overused in a lot of times. But when you're saying I'm the worst mom ever, you're just shaming yourself, Mm -hmm. which actually drives you toward the compulsive behavior or the... Like excessive chocolate eating and other things. Yes, it doesn't make you a better mom to tell yourself I'm the worst mom. It doesn't make you a better spouse to tell yourself that you are never good enough for them. But I think it's really important, and a lot of people get mixed up, the difference between guilt and shame. And they also overuse the idea of guilt. Because guilt is only for when you've done something wrong, that you really knew was wrong and you did it anyway. Mm. And yeah, there's definitely appropriate times to be feeling guilt. And then, hopefully, you listen to the past two episodes where we talked about apologies and forgiveness, and then you can act, You can use apologizing and forgiveness to overcome the guilt or to solve the guilt or I don't know how you want to say that. But like shame, there's no place for shame anywhere. It doesn't do any good anywhere. Guilt can do good. It is a negative emotion that can motivate you to apologize, to mend fences, to make right whatever you did wrong. But there's no good that comes out of shame. Nothing. I've never seen or heard of anything good that came out of it. So the question then is, how does one stop feeling shame? Well, I said this before with other stuff. Is it just a choice or is there more to it? Um, it can be a choice. Um, I think it can be in, in a lot of cases. Or is it the damage that's caused by shame? That I mean, that may take more than just a choice to get over. I yeah. Mean, is it truly just a choice to stop shaming or not feeling shame or whatever? But when the damage is done, you can't really choice your way out of that. At least I, I can't think of a way. On my phone a while ago, I had this background that said, I choose to love myself. And I will remind myself of this as many times as necessary, something like that. And it was this weird day, and I laughed out loud when I this occurred to me, that like loving myself is just choosing to love myself. I don't have to like do anything. I don't have to be a certain thing to deserve to love myself. I can just choose it, and that's it. That doesn't mean it's always easy. That doesn't mean that I don't have to remind myself multiple, multiple times a day to choose to love myself, to choose to catch myself when I'm saying, oh, I should have, ugh, when I start to beat myself up or say things that are shameful to myself, to go, wait, nope, not doing that. How can I change my perspective on this situation? How can I just be more careful with myself and say, like, this is kind of a stupid example. I might have talked about it on the podcast before, but like, I'll be driving somewhere and there'll be like two or three different routes to get to that place. And I go there and there's construction or there's some traffic thing happening, heavy traffic or whatever. And I'm like, oh, I should have taken the other way. And I know it's stupid, but like I really beat myself up over stupid stuff like that sometimes. And I caught myself doing it and I'm like, wait, hold on. I should not have taken that other way. 
I made a good choice. I made the best choice I could at the time. You know, if I had known that this traffic thing was there, yeah, I probably would have gone the other way. But that doesn't make me wrong or bad for doing it this way. And I hope that you can take that and apply it throughout your life, not just, you know, traffic and driving, but to say that moment when I said that thing to my kid or my neighbor or whoever, my spouse, I really was doing the best that I could at the time. Or sometimes they're like, it seemed like the right thing to do to say to my kid, you know, you better get good grades or else. And sometimes you don't know the damage that your words are going to have and you come back and you find that out later. It does you no good to beat yourself up about that and just to tell yourself that you're the worst because it's more likely that your nervous system is then going to be activated and then you're going to say worse things, more bad things, hurtful things to people later on. So in order to get out of that, Sometimes it's just a sheer matter of choosing to catch, catching yourself in it and then choosing to go a different way. Right. I think as you were talking about that, we know about some people in our life, or at least people we know who've had marital problems from time to time. And um, I think of the person who is shaming of themselves and it leads to darker and darker things that, should I put this? Like, the people around you see that, mm-hmm. and it affects them. Yeah. And it, and not for the better, um, it's hard to be around a person like that. It makes you less emotionally available to the people around you when you're all stuck in all of this horrible right. thoughts and things about yourself. You can't really be there present with the people that you yeah. love. Yeah, and you can't, you can't see the things they're doing for you or the importance mm. of them in your life either. Yeah. And so it's important that if you not only catch yourself when you're shaming yourself and being judgmental of yourself, but then to stop it. Yeah. And give yourself some grace. Just like you said at the road thing, uh, you know, the, the route and the road thing is that give yourself some grace. You made the best choice you knew at the time. And you know what? You don't, don't shame yourself. Mm-hmm. Sometimes where I find shame comes up for me is when I had the thought to do something one way. And then I sort of talk myself out of it and do it some other way. And then it turns out less good than I thought it would. And then I'm like, oh, crap, I should have listened to myself. And I didn't. And that's where I get mad at myself. Because I'm like, oh, I should have listened to myself. And that's another should. And if you've been listening to any podcast, you'll know the word should is like the number one signal for a thing that's It's like a six-letter swear word. Kind of. I think that even just knowing, okay, whenever I say should to myself, that's a red flag for something that's about to, that I'm about to shame myself for, whatever the thing is. So, I mean, even just knowing that and just catching myself when I said I should or I should have, catching myself and going, wait, and then just changing that phrase. I mean, it's tiny little thing, but it's amazing what a big difference that it makes. The less shame you feel, the less validation you need to extract from the people around you. The more you feel safe with yourself and the more you trust yourself and the more you like yourself. Somehow during the recording, my thought got completely interrupted. So what I was saying is the less shame you feel, the less validation you feel the need to extract from other people around you. The more safe you can feel in yourself, the more you trust and like yourself. And when that happens, you feel less shame. It affects you much less. 
And also you are more honest in your relationships and things go a lot better because you are no longer putting your sense of self so much in the opinion of others. The other part of healing shame is admitting it to other people. Because something, again, another thing from Brene Brown that I learned is that shame can't stand the light of day, but it wants to stay in the, it wants to stay hidden. And the longer you hide it, the bigger it gets. And if you will talk about it with somebody and just say, I feel a lot of shame about such and such thing, even just sharing it with another person makes it smaller. And maybe it doesn't take it away after one conversation. Maybe it does. But then you can share it with somebody who you trust. I had something that I had so much shame about. And it was probably two years before I said anything to anybody outside of you. I was so embarrassed. I was so stuck in this what felt like a mountain of shame that was crushing. And I felt like... I can't talk about this with anybody because they will judge me. And then I found somebody and I waited for the right time and I shared everything with her. I told her everything and I ugly cried the entire conversation. And she didn't think I was stupid. She was like, no, it, I would feel the same way if, I had, if that had happened to me. And just being able to talk about it with her, somebody who was kind of not exactly a stranger, but not somebody that I knew, like not my husband or my sisters. I think the only people I'd ever talked about it with are my husband and a few of my sisters. And that was so, it made so much difference for me to just be able to have somebody say, yeah, you're not bad, you're not stupid. This is real, like what you're feeling is totally justified. And that helped, but it didn't solve it. I don't know if I'm still fully out of my shame about this thing. I think it still comes up from time to time, but it's not like crushing me like it was before. It's not so much that I can barely handle it. Um, and I have shared that story with other people who are not in my immediate family as well. And every time I'm able to really share and open up about it, I feel better and better every time. And so having community, having people that you who love you and trust you and want the best for you and to be able to share those things is another really, really effective way to heal that shame. And so sometimes it isn't just deciding. Sometimes it does take doing something about it. If you can't talk with somebody, sometimes even just writing it down on paper is sort of feels like sharing it with somebody. And that can help a lot too. Journaling. Yeah. It's too bad not to make light of it. It's, I mean, it's kind of funny to think about, but it's too bad you just can't throw a bucket of water, a pail of water on your shame and have it melt away like a, like the Wicked Witch of the East or West. Yeah. The shame would be like, I'm melting, I'm melting. And it would just go away. Unfortunately, mm. it's not like that, but it should be nice. Maybe it's like a snowstorm that comes through and the sun comes out and melts part of it. And then it comes out again in a few more days and melts a little bit part of it. And then pretty soon it gets to be summertime and then the snow is mostly gone. Maybe there's little tiny parts of it left in the shady spots. And then the summer heat comes and it's all totally gone. Yeah, and I think it's a good point that, like you said, is that it it may take some time for that shame to go away. Mm -hmm. And that's normal, I think. And that's okay. 
yeah steadily working at it whether it's through journaling like you said or talking to somebody that you trust eventually it can go away and there is hope that it will go away I mean mm-hmm. and if you're married to somebody who is feeling a lot of shame about something or just not feeling like they're good enough I think it's important to recognize when they're sharing those things with you and to not say judgmental things or dismissive things like, well, all you have to do is just stop thinking that way and you'll be fine. Because you could be throwing gas on the shame flame. Absolutely. And making it worse. Without even knowing it. I know I've done that a bunch of times. Where you Boy, I do too. <laughs> trying no. to tell yeah. me something and trying to, you know, express something to me and I'm like, what's the big deal with that? Or... Well, that's kind of stupid. Like, why do you think, you know what I mean? I don't know. Anyway, sometimes my reaction isn't very kind. And the, I really try to be, since I've recognized this, for one thing, we try to alert each other to, I'm about to share something. We've talked about this before. But like, we try to tell each other, I want to say something to you that's hard for me to say. And then I know, okay, this is something that you're struggling with. And I'm going to receive it rather than just brush it off or make light of it or you know, mm-hmm. sometimes I will say, I can't receive it right now. Like, I can't handle that. I'm not in a place where I can really hear what you have to say. And that's important, too, so that then the other spouse knows that they can trust you when you do say, yes, I'm ready. Well, and they know that you're taking what you want to say seriously. And then, yeah. okay, that's been for my case. I know there's been times you said, I can't take it right now. It's like, okay. I, I don't feel any judgment. I don't feel bad about it. And I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, I'll, I'll bring it up in a day or two. Mm-hmm. Or never. <laughs> <laughs> or the 12th of never. Yeah. Yeah. If you do struggle with shame, I know Brene Brown's talks and YouTube videos, and there's a lot of material. Um, and if you do struggle with that, her work might be really helpful for you. Um, the book I've been reading that I talked about last time called No Bad Parts. I think is also a really good way to help people stop feeling shame. There's some exercises in the book. There's just a different way of thinking about yourself and being able to be an observer of your thoughts rather than feeling like I am my thoughts. So I would recommend those and talking to somebody. Find somebody to trust, to talk to. Well, and employing a good life coach, such as Handel and Price, (laughs) helps as well. I mean... I, I know you can coach through these things. And so, yeah. yeah, there's lots, there's, what I'm trying to get, there's lots of resources. Yeah. But there's also sometimes talking to somebody, especially someone trained in life coaching can help. Yeah. Or a therapist. Or a best friend. Or your kitten. Or a kitten. Yeah. Actually, animals are a really good. You thought I was joking about that. I was serious. Yeah. I was serious. I joking. think it's dogs, horses, and dolphins. Why dolphins? I have no idea. It has idea. to be a miniature horse, though. I've read the things. It's miniature horses and dogs. Huh. Anyway, the, there's something about those kinds of animals that help people heal See, from that kind of stuff. I, I would probably choose a pig. Um, pigs are intelligent. No. They pigs will eat you. No, you're not a big pig. You mean like Wilbur, like a tiny pig. Sure. And the thing is, if, if things go south and things aren't working between you and the pig, at least you got bacon. Oh my gosh. I think I would have thought you would have picked a cow. I, I would pick a cow. Because... They're delicious too. No, not to eat. Baby calves are the cutest things ever. They are so cute. And you talked about the cows growing up in the dairy and how they had so much personality. 
They do. You know, people always talk about horses and dogs being so smart. My opinion this is my opinion. I think horses and dogs are stupid. You can train them. Cows, extremely hard to train. But I'm telling you, living, <laughs> living and working around cattle, those things are smart. But aren't chickens hard to train as well? And they are stupid as stupid. You could hypnotize them, I know. It's hilarious. <laughs> hypnotize a chicken? I Have you see. never seen that? I don't think so. Um, anyway, cows. Saw a lot of things that cows did. I'm telling you, there's some intelligence there. Chickens are funny just to watch. If you sit there and watch chickens, they're funny. They are so fun to watch. They just... They are. It is hot as heck in here. I'm comfortable. I don't know what's wrong with you. Nothing's wrong with you. <laughs> I just got shamed! <laughs> you have to feel shame to be shamed. I think that's all we got. So thanks for yeah. listening, everybody. Have an amazing week, and we'll see you in the next episode. We sure will. Bye! Bye. That's a wrap for this episode of the Marriage Bites Podcast. If you've enjoyed today's episode, share it with a friend. Do you feel like the fun and adventure you used to have has been crowded out by work, kids, and just life in general? I have put together 24 super fun date night ideas that will have you laughing and connecting in 20 minutes or less. So head over to andalynprice.com to get a whole bunch of easy and free date ideas. You'll be amazed at how a little bit of play can have you laughing and connecting in no time. Babysitter not required. Um, being honest, I think what I, the part. Right, I like you, I mean. Here it is. Is there six letters in should? <laughs> I'm just counting, I'm like, I think S-H. so. S-H. You know there's a four letter word that starts with an S-H too. Okay. Yes, there is. Yes. Um, I think, I think that's right. Okay, you got it right. Okay. We're yeah, good. I got it right. I can spell. <laughs> good job. Yes. <laughs> what are you doing? It's hot in here. <laughs> oh my gosh, I can't believe you just did that. There's a... You distracted me. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's hot, where it's that. hot in this room and... I know you were talking, and I'm, I'm like, man, I started fanning myself, and I'm like, well, that's distracting. And so and I was so, like, there's got to be a virtual fan on YouTube. So there, sure enough, there is. So oh, my I, gosh. I brought up the virtual fan, and you were like, what? And I showed you, and then I started pointing it toward me like it was blowing on me. That Apparently, is, it didn't work. The, I mean, that is more pointless than a fake fire on YouTube. At least with a fake fire, it's nice to watch. I think it's I a white know. noise type of thing for sleeping. Oh, right. Okay, that makes more sense. And then you're like making that fan noise mess with our recording, so good job. Sorry, everybody. I'm just trying to cool off. <laughs>